Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, we will discuss what's in store for the investment industry. We will also discuss some of Orion's most exciting projects on the horizon. That's with our guest, Noreen Beeman, president of Orion Advisor Solutions. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's dive right in and bring in our guest, Noreen Beeman, president of Orion Advisor Solutions. Noreen, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Thanks for having me. Well, Noreen, so the very, the it started here, this is the big question, and it's that song, we need to hear a walk-up song, the background music as you take the stage for this podcast interview. Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. I'm a New Jersey girl, so um, a big fan. Probably dating myself that I actually um, bought the album on vinyl, but I am a huge fan and I love that song. Nice. Great. All right. Well, Noreen, you are the president of Orion. And before that, you were CEO of Brinker Capital, which merged with Orion in 2020. And you were at Brinker for 29 years. Can you tell us more about what you did there and how your position has changed now that you're president of Orion? Well, I am so lucky to be a part of Orion, and I'm very, very privileged with all the people that I've had the opportunity to meet and our clients and our expanded clients. My 29 years at Brinker, I'm like, oh my goodness, my whole lifetime. I actually started out, I'm a CPA, so um, coming out of Ernst & Young, and had the opportunity to start in a little startup. There was eight of us. We had $100 million under management, and we bought our company for Mutual Benefit Life. And I got to do everything. Again, there's only eight of you. You figure out how to do all the work. And I've actually had the opportunity to do every job within our business. And probably the biggest influence I had is for six years in New York City, I carried the bag so to speak, but I was a wholesaler working with financial advisors and their clients from 1998 to 2004. And then I came back in and I came back into the office and did strategic planning. And then in 2012, I became the CEO. So it took me to 2016 to figure out how to be the CEO of Brinker. It was a, a process, but I had the really the benefit of working with a great team. And more importantly, then um, moved on in 2020 to being part of Orion. My role has shifted in the sense that I am a part of a much larger organization going from 160 people to over 1,100, almost 1,200 professionals today. And just um, how exciting that is to be a part of a big organization. My focus is on the investment side of the business as well as our sales and marketing operations. All right, great. Well, as you mentioned, you came to investing from the accounting world. You got your degree in accounting from St. Peter's University in New Jersey. So what drew you to investing initially and what do you find rewarding about working in this field? I, you know, I kind of fell into it, which is kind of funny, like, you know, life happens. And I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer and never actually thought I would fall into this investment thing. But really from an opportunity 
of seeing what a difference advice makes to end investor clients. So the value of that financial advisor and the advice that they deliver. And then, you know, really the momentum of capitalism, when you think about it, like making those investments and following those companies and watching the real talent that we had at Brinker and now at Orion in terms of the investment process and procedure. And so again, I fell into this. It was more, and I look at it from a service lens, but I'm so excited that I was able to do that. Financial services, which is interesting, people think like, your investment banking. I'm like, it's so much bigger and broader than that and all the different roles that you can have within that organization. But that accounting background, actually I'm a CPA, really gave me the opportunity to understand how to read a financial statement and really understand how different companies work. So Brinker Capital has been around for 35 years. In short, what is the secret to being a successful investment firm? What I think is important is sticking true to your core values and trust. You know, when you think about what do we do, we're empowered and trusted by that advisor to take care of their clients with their dollars. I mean, I always say to remind people, like, this is real people behind those investments, you know, whether there's, you know, could be a school teacher, could be an investment professional, could be any kind of what are they trying to do with the money? And so whether it's, you know, having their kids go to college, whether it's for retirement, whether it's being philanthropic, we have that responsibility and doing that. So a good financial firm, and the reason why I think Brinker has so much longevity is that one, we stay true to our core values and delivering trust and, and to and really delivering on our value proposition. But most importantly as well is creative destruction. You have to be willing to evolve. You have to be willing to say, hey, we made a mistake and own that. And then finally, and Rusty, I think you can own this one. You have to be resilient. How many different markets, how many different challenges, and you need to stay resilient and kind of step away from all the noise and really understand what you're trying, the fundamentals of how you're investing and stay true to those fundamentals. But it's not easy. And I, I think great investment professionals really are resilient. You have to be smart, but they are resilient. Yeah, great. All right, so we have a lot of questions for you today, but let's get straight to the big one. And that is, what is your forecast for our industry, particularly wealth management platforms? And what do you see coming up for the industry in 2022? So I'm a big believer in the fact that the consumer is driving all the change that's happening right now. And you really think of the only the paranoia survive, right? That concept of the convergence of technology, the regulatory environment, or the consumer. And the consumer today, that end investor, is smarter than they've ever been because they have access to so much information. So they're going to drive for continued personalization. So I'm a big believer that we need to be ahead of that curve, thinking about what are they going to want, just how we would like to be treated, right? You have to almost look at how do you want to, everything on your phone, how can you visit your money, how can you get the information that you need, you know, a second trend that I think is important is the tax managed overlay and solutions. And the reason when you think of 21, portfolios have really done really well. And now we're going to have to pay taxes on that. And no one really likes to pay taxes or they want to transition out of a concentrated stock portfolio and how do you create that diversification or you left your organization and now you've retired and you're taking that company stock with you and now you need to diversify. So I think tax managed solutions will stay center stage. And when we do that, and when you think of the reason too, is how do financial advisors add value? It's investment alpha, tax managed alpha, and behavioral alpha. So again, we do a good job on that investments, best we can add that additional value with tax managed and that behavioral alpha. How do you, that financial advisor keep their investor in their seats? And I think we'll continue to see the importance of behavioral finance as we think about more of that as it drives deeper conversations with financial planning. So you just touched on a lot of these different things. That's pretty exciting. So 
Obviously, Orion's working on a lot of big projects. Which ones are you finding the most exciting? Can you pick a favorite? It's hard to pick a favorite, Rusty. I would tell you uh, what no. I am so excited about being at Orion is that you know, as part of Brinker, we didn't have this technology side of the house where we were always on someone else's line. Now we're in the queue, right? Because we can go in and talk to Eric Clark and the team and say, this is a great idea. And if you can demonstrate the value that you're bringing, that you can actually get the technology delivered. So I really love what we're doing on the tax managed space. And we've kicked that off last year and we have more coming as we go forward. A huge fan of Dr. Daniel Crosby and the behavioral finance. What we can do in planning is, I feel like, second to none. And really, how do you take that from a planning engagement with our 3D RTQ, where we're really at risk tolerance questionnaire and understanding, why do I stay in my seat? You know, we may all be the same type of investor. We're like, all right, I'm moderate. But, you know, when it rains out, I'm more affected than you are, Rusty, when it rains. Like, when you think about how do we think about what our risk capacity and composure is. So I'm really excited about what we can do with that as we move forward. So Noreen, you have been in the investment management industry for three decades, as we've mentioned. Can you talk about who some of the influences have been that shaped you professionally and helped you mold your management style? Yeah, I've been at this a long time. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, just had a birthday. I'm like, oof, how did that number actually happen? I have been the beneficiary of working for Chuck Widger, who was the founder of Brinker Capital. And Chuck was a wonderful mentor and sponsor for me for many years in the sense that the money, the job paid with the job paid, it was always not gender, it didn't matter. So you think about it as a female in this industry for as long as I've had, I had the opportunity because it was really not important. It was what, did, what was the job and how are we going to get after it and creating that flexible environment that let me be successful. And more importantly, so I would say Chuck was a tremendous advocate and mentor I've had professional coaching. Hard to believe that, you know, this charming personality I have was is, is just affected. But more importantly, I was sent to charm school a few times. So in those experiences, I have really embraced coaching and because I've seen the difference having those feedback mechanism has done. You always think that you're acting in, with your best intentions. And then sometimes when you step away and look at those, how are you leading? How are you motivating? How are you helping? your team be successful. And then you realize you're doing all the wrong things. And I'm like, hmm. So the accidental diminisher. So if you get a chance of reading any of like how managers, how you diminish teams, and I was considered myself the accidental diminisher where I would take the joy, say, hey, I think you should do it this way, as opposed to this is what we want to do. Come back and let me know how you're going to get there. So I would say that was important, professional coaching. And more importantly, the network that I've been able to build through our industry, being part of industry groups, seeing some of the best leaders, whether it's through the Money Management Institute or through the Financial Services Institute. And then how fortunate I am to be around other leaders in our organization here at Orion. And I will tell you that, especially I've been very impressed and admire Eric Clark. The fact that I was able to come in as a CEO, move into this president role was really because of his generosity of providing space for me to have a place where I could have a voice. And he didn't have to be as gracious as he has been. And I really have enjoyed working with him. So uh, you had a title of a book. It was The Accidental. Oh, it's actually an article. Oh, an article. Okay. It is a really great, but you have to be careful about how you lead teams, lead and manage teams. It's a Harvard Business Review article, which I 
don't have the top, but it was called really one of the topics is accidental diminisher. Well, I should have mentioned we have show notes and we just like, if you have links and resources, we'll put them all in the show notes. All right, cool. So I can, I can send you the article, but it's a great article because I think it makes you take stock in your leadership and what you're doing in leading teams. Well, Noreen, you did mention your experience as a woman in the industry. And whenever we have women on the show, we do like to ask about making it in this profession as a woman because it can be tough. And women are underrepresented in finance and investing, despite, you know, a lot of studies showing they can be really successful in the industry as investors and advisors. So can you tell us more about what your experience as a woman has been in the industry and how do you think we can get more women interested in the profession? You know, what's fascinating is, you know, thinking that, there's not enough women at even the level that I've been able to achieve because they just weren't enough that may have stayed in the industry. So it's a function of experience and opportunity set. And early on, the industry was not very flexible. I think this pandemic, there's so many bad things about it. But the one thing is created a flexible work environment for, you know, kind of level set that. Prior to that, for me at Brinker, I had a flexible work environment. Worked from home in 1991. Like that's kind of unheard of. Now we all work from home. It's like, why do you work in the office? You can work at home. Where it's more of that 1991. No one did that. So I was very fortunate. I'm a mother of three children. I don't look back and say I wasn't able to do things for them as they were growing up. And whether I was a Girl Scout leader or I was a class mom, but in some parts of the world at that time, that really wasn't available. Like that, you either in the office or you're not, or you didn't have a job. Where Brinker allowed for that. It's getting better. We have so much more work to do. How fortunate are we as part of Orion that Amy Magnata is our portfolio manager for the destinations funds running $17 billion. That So there are women in our organization that have had an opportunity to be successful. And now we need to continue to mentor and bring the next generation of young women into this industry. And I have been actively doing that, working with the Money Management Institute, mentoring where I can. And I think As my now 30-year-old daughter said to me about five, six years ago, mom, you need to get out there so people see there's opportunities. You know, putting myself out there is not something I felt comfortable in, but it was really about, hey, this is a great industry and there's an opportunity for more people to be a part of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Noreen, you mentioned the talent you've been surrounded by over all these years. I have a couple of questions on that. So first, it's kind of a newer question I like to ask is, so you've been around all these really smart, successful people in the industry. So how has that experience working alongside all these professionals, how has it impacted how you personally invest for you and your family? What I will tell you early on, a financial advisor kind of probably saved my older daughter's college funding because he insisted we get a 529 plan. And you're like, college will never cost that much. Well, luckily we had a 529 plan because my oldest went to school in 2009, which is the financial crisis. And my youngest went to school in 2020, which is the pandemic. So luckily we did some savings and that was the importance there. Many times through the years I've, I've invested at Brinker and now as a part of, I have a financial advisor and all our family's money is either in destinations or the Brinker Wealth Advisory part of the business. So I eat our home cooking, Rusty. Yep. I see the high quality investment team we have. And so our investments are at our organization. That's great. As you know, the companies, the investment firms that have the best results over time, both from investment performance and employee satisfaction, they tend to eat their own cooking. So that Mm -hmm. is awesome. All right. So the next question is, so what qualities do you think make a good investment professional? I kind of like, what do you look for when you're making hiring decisions, when you are hiring people for our industry? 
So when I think about, you know, the questions we ask and, and things that we are important is, you know, how have they handled mistakes? Do they own the mistakes they've made? And again, mistakes are really, you know, we learn from them. And so have they, you know, made a bad interest rate call, didn't see the rotation that was happening, or were a little behind a trade? Those are things that are going to happen. It's really how you react to those and, and, and get behind, you know, get ahead of that going forward. As I said earlier, how resilient are they? I mean, you really need, this is not an easy business. I would say it's not for the faint of heart. So this is not an easy um, job to have. It's a lot of responsibility, but going after that with the right attitude and being resilient and being able to weather those storms when the markets go in a direction that you might not have expected them to go. Also, it's important to have an open mind. Things happen, things change, and how open are you to seeing what else is going on in the industry? You're picking your head up and looking at what's going on around you. So those are the kind of things that I'm looking for as we try to bring. And good people, again, culture matters. I don't care how smart you are. If you're not going to fit in with the group and you're not going to have the same core values as we do in our organization, it's probably not going to be a good experience for either that professional or for us. And sort of on the flip side of that, what do you think are some of the qualities that make a good financial advisor? Listening skills. It's so important that they're listening. And really, you know, especially when you think about, are they listening? Is it one person that's having those conversations or are there two? Are they bringing both of those partners into those conversations? What I haven't actually been interesting with this current environment we're in, my husband and I will do the joint Zoom call with our financial advisor. And we have different needs, like, you know, we're to have different questions. He asked me the other day, we had a call on Monday, like, oh, Noreen, do you want to talk about the investments? Like, oh, no, no, I know that. But it was important for Bill to talk about our investment. So, you know, again, listening to both different views, they're trying and making sure answering questions for both of the people at that conversation. They have to be caring. Financial advisors get more information than we actually would understand in the sense of trust. Because most people don't talk about money outside in polite conversation. We've kind of been raised, you don't talk about money. But now you're sitting with financial advisors. So once you start talking about money, they talk about a lot of other things. I've been at the kitchen counter with the advisor and the client, like, wow, they tell you all their business, but they need to be caring and smart. And I think that's important. All right. So now we get into some really fun questions here. Well, they've all been fun so far, right? Yes, they've been great. Okay, so Harry Truman once said that not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And you are known to be a big reader. And Robin and I love to ask about books. So we could ask a lot of questions about books, but let's just get it started. What are you reading now? So I'm actually reading two books. So one of our teammates, Bill Waspaw, gave me What Got You Here Will Not Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. And I'm really enjoying it because in my new role, it's almost like taking a minute and reflecting on things that I had done at Brinker that aren't working here, things that I need to change and rethink given my new role in a larger organization. So I'm really enjoying that book. And then from a fiction book, The Lincoln Highway by Amar Tolls. I don't think I'm saying his name properly, but I've read his other books. And so this um, I just got started with that one this past weekend. That's what I'm currently reading. Nice. Okay, so what are your all-time favorites? Charlotte's Web, I always put out there. My mom, I always tell the story. My mom took me to the bookstore when I was a very little girl. And it was one of my first books that we bought. And that's when a time when people did buy books, she went to the library, right? Like I was like, you know, now we think of all the books that we all have. And I fell in love with reading. And it was really a function. I was fighting with my two sisters. And I got to go by myself, my mom, I'm the oldest. And I bought this book. And I have to tell you, it brought me on this journey. I try to read 30 books a year. 
but it's because I love it. It's my personal pastime. Another all-time favorite is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. I, I do love that book. And then one that actually Daniel, Dr. Crosby had um, recommended, but Man's Search for Meaning and Viktor Frankl, like you really can't get down. Like if you really reflect on his story, it makes you hopefully try to be a little bit of a better person. That's again, another all-time favorite. I finally read that title last year. After all these years, I finally read it. It is solid. So did you make your goal last year of 30 books? I did actually. Nice. And, you know, some of them are, you know, books I probably wouldn't tell people I read because they're like really quick reads. And some of them <laughs> were a little bit of more challenging that I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I say I would read it? Another insight is that I like, especially in fiction, I'll read the end of the book after I read the first hundred pages. And then I still finish the book. But I like to read the end so it takes the edge off and I'm not up to four o'clock in the morning. So trying to get to the end, but then I enjoy the book much better. So that is a thing. And I'm in a great book club with some other women that I've really enjoyed. So it's it's a fun passion. Interesting tip. 30 is a good goal. My wife and I are both at 24 and we had to do a lot of reading in December to make it. Mm. But we made it. You made it. <laughs> and I listen to a lot of books too. Like I think that's, and I count them as reading. Yep. House of Gucci was a great one if you haven't read that one. But hmm. really good. Movie's out now, too. I saw the movie, but I haven't read the book. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations to people who are interested in joining the investment profession, book recommendations? So depending on where they are. So if they're in college and they're interested, I am like intern. I am a full believer, intern, 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 and don't care if you get paid. So we do pay our interns, but don't care if you get paid. Let you know if you like this industry, it'll expose you to things you like or don't like different groups within the organization. So I think internships are great. Be open to this industry from taking your first job that, again, you can migrate. You can start in the marketing department that you want to do investments. You might need to go get your CFA. But what is the journey that brings you within and, and the investment organization? But it's so many different jobs in that sense. And sometimes second careers, like when you think of opportunities where whether like they did accounting or they were in an, you just really need to be willing to step into that learning and be a part of that. But it, it is a great opportunity, I think, for depending on wherever you are in your career to step in. And how about book recommendations for those wanting to learn more about the industry? Gosh, I can't even think of one. I mean, I could see them, but one great title on there. I don't know, Rusty, what books do we do think would be a good one? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, you know, if on the investment management side, it's always been sort of, the standard question and answer, like what's the important books? And it's like The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. So, but that's mm -hmm. really on the investment management side. And then I think personally now people should think more behavioral finance. So obviously we already talked about Dr. Crosby. He has a couple outstanding yes. books, which I think are great because that's applicable not only for people for the industry, but people who are just investing. Dr. Crosby, he has a book last year that came out that's a hit. So it kind of depends on it, but I've heard one recently that has great potential. It's Storytelling for Financial Advisors by Scott West, who's been on the podcast before. Oh, okay. And that looks like it's, I'm already promoting it. I haven't even read it. I shouldn't do that, but, but it's so good <laughs> to get started. But those are some titles. Behavioral Investment by Dr. Crosby is a good one. I think I can make the plug for that one. <laughs> All right. I have one more recommendations question. And that is, what about podcasts, newsletters, Twitter feeds? What are your recommendations for what people, investors and advisors should be listening to and taking in? So on the weighing machine is clearly on the yeah, top of the list. Of course. So we got to do that one. A standard Deviations by Dr. Daniel Crosby is another one. 
From there, I don't do a lot more in terms of podcasts. I listen to what was going on. The few show that'll be coming from Orion that we're going to be kicking that back up. And, you know, those are the three I would recommend. Nice. You know, the Fuse show, those guys should do a lot more because they have so much personality and they're so fun. That is a good one. Yeah, they're great. So we're bringing them back. So I would tell you that we're bringing them back to do that. And I think it's the practical application of how you're using your technology to manifest an amazing financial services business. Okay, another question that we like to ask, and I think a lot of people put some thought into this. It's kind of fun, though. We did ask a 20 something the other day and they sort of just went with like, uh, I don't do anything. (laughs) <laughs> but the question is, in our profession, we have an obligation to perform at a high level. So how do you maintain your health, both physical and mental, to ensure that you're performing well? It's so important. One of the things from the pandemic that I have a good habit, so I have three days a week, I have a trainer that I meet via Zoom. And that is like an hour commitment. I'm trying to do other days. I'm doing something else, whether it's a Peloton or taking a walk. It's a little cold now. So I'm like the walk, I've kind of separated. But what's important about like the three mile walk is really the ability to think. And I don't even bring anything with me. It's just more about letting my brain run and quiet that. And then I sleep, like I need to sleep. Um, Some people don't need to sleep, but I need a good seven, eight hours. And so I'm very protective of that because you really don't want to be around me if I haven't slept. And I'm not one, I don't function very highly and I'm very crabby. So I try to protect people around me by ensuring that I sleep. And I'm always on a constant journey of having a better diet but that's a lifetime thing. I haven't quite figured out yet. (laughs) All right. Well, Noreen, it's been really great having you on the show. Thanks very much for coming on. And how can listeners learn more about you and your work at Orion? One, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm all on the Orion. So you can find me there at Noreen and Beeman on Twitter. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for if anyone has anything. LinkedIn is also another great place to find me. Well, Noreen, this is great. You know what? We should have you on every year at this time to kind of give the outlook and the forecast for the coming year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd be happy to. So yeah, no, happy, happy, happy to. Robin, it was super nice to spend time with you. Rusty as well. Great. Thanks, Noreen. Great. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.